0: I'm going to speak today on the subject of pleasure and delight in God from our Ephesians series, and I've subtitled it Looking for Pleasure in All the Right Places. And uh, I want to look particularly at some verses at the end of Ephesians chapter 3, which we're going to read in a minute. Um, My goal is that we'll have a felt sense of delight in God, which is a very important part of the Christian life. And I hope I can persuade you of that, first of all, by asking why this is the case, and then looking at some examples and stories from scripture and from life, and then ask, how do you and I get there? How do we get to this point? So, Let's look then at some verses in Ephesians. So in Ephesians 3, starting verse 8, we read, To me, less than the least of all the saints, this grace was given to proclaim to the Gentiles the unfathomable riches of Christ and to enlighten everyone about God's secret plan, a secret that has been hidden for ages in God who created all things. So he begins this by talking about the unfathomable riches of Christ. And then we have, uh, continuing in verse 14, For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every group in heaven and on earth is named, that he may grant you, according to the riches of his glory, with power to be strengthened, through his spirit in your inner being. So that's the first part of the prayer that will have power. And then, for Christ to dwell through faith in your hearts, in love, being rooted and grounded. And then it uh, continues, for the reason for this, that you may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. So this is our goal today, that we would at least have an inkling of this love of God that can bring us immeasurable joy and delight, as I'm going to try and and persuade you as we look at some of the scriptures. Now I want to ask... Why is it that so many Christians seem to struggle for years against chronic sins, sins that like, they don't seem to be able to get rid of, they keep coming back? There can be a number of reasons, but one of them is a false idea of pleasure. And the idea is that to be a Christian is to renounce pleasure, renounce enjoyment, you have a life of joyless obedience, and that's what it means to be a Christian, And that gives Satan a good advantage over us um, because then he has the lie, your only hope of being happy is to sin. And we can think of it like a circle and the circle is is obeying God. Everything that's that's, that's good and right is in that circle and Satan says, you know, fun is outside of the circle. If you want some fun, you have to go outside. Inside it's, it's boring, it's obedience and that's the lie. And the truth is actually it's in the circle is the greatest joy. And the stuff outside is fake. And this, I think, is one of the things that keeps people looking for pleasure in the wrong places. Uh, The idea that it's wrong to be happy. Um, We are created to desire joy and, and delight this desire is not wrong. The only thing that's wrong is if we try and satisfy it in the wrong places. And the choice is between having pleasure, um, in God's, in God, or, uh, going outside and, um, and we are, we are, uh, we might get some sort of trance in pleasure, but it's not forever. But the truth is, in Psalm, uh, 100, Psalm 16 verse 11, at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Um, I don't know if you've, uh, any of you heard of the catechism. It was a way that children used to be taught about, about the, uh, what we believe in a kind of question and answer way. And not just children, adults as well. Um, does anybody know what the first question of the catechism is? What is the chief end of mankind? What is the chief purpose, in other words, of mankind? And do you know what the answer is? To serve God and enjoy him. To serve God and enjoy him forever. That's right. Um, uh, so, and that's actually a really good answer, and it's a really good start to the basis for what we believe. To enjoy God—that's what our purpose is—to serve Him and enjoy Him. And Paul is a great example um, of this. And our main scripture today is this a passage here. And uh, you look at verse seventeen, uh, that he talks about um, this this uh, joy that he has. Um, actually, let's look more at verse uh, eighteen that you may have the strength to comprehend with all the saints. What is the breadth and length and height and depth to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge? Um, and so um, this is, this is uh, the, the goal, I think, that we're going to look for. Many other people in the scriptures talk of, of this kind of love, and one example would be the apostle Peter, um, 1 Peter 1, though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in, in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory. So is Peter talking about joy now or joy in eternity? Primarily. Hmm? Now, yeah, because he says you do not see him, though you do not see him, so we will see him, but even now, though we do not see him, we rejoice with his joy that's inexplicable. Um, let's go back to Ephesians, well, now we're going to go on to Ephesians 5, I'm taking some verses, because this is a big theme in Ephesians, so I'm taking some different parts of the book, but in chapter 5, Paul tells us something extraordinary about the love of Jesus. Um, He says that romantic love within a marriage is actually just a picture of a reality that goes beyond that, and the reality is actually the love of Jesus for us. Ephesians 5, therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. So so marriage is one of the romantic love in marriage is one of the strongest pictures of love in in our society um and um and in, in humankind. And that actually pales that is, if you like, the picture which the reality is Jesus' love for us, which is even stronger. And if you want to know what it's like, think of the greatest love on earth and then take a step beyond that. This is just amazing. Uh, so so um, as we look through the scriptures, we see this idea of, of love between um, man and woman being picture, actually being a picture of God's love for us. Isaiah 4, 54 verse 5 says, "'For your maker is your husband.'" The Lord of hosts is his name, and then when the nation begins to turn against God and go away from him, Jeremiah three fourteen, return, O faithless children, declares the Lord, for I am your husband. So this language of love is there in a very deep way. And so as we look through the scriptures, we see a picture of enjoying and delighting in God, um, particularly then with this metaphor of, of marriage. Of course, this is not the same as human marriage in many respects, but in, in many ways it's even more than that. So uh, that's my that was my first point. Um, it, this is the case, and I want to argue and I'm fill in the blanks here. A deep and rich enjoyment of God will make us so satisfied it will be easy to resist sin. So that's one of the reasons why we need this, to do this. The second one is a joy in God will energize us to living lives for him. So I want to talk about um, experience of this. What does it look like for humans to experience this kind of love? Sometimes uh, talk of God can be very intellectual, and we can say, you know, I know in my head God loves me, I believe that, but our hearts are dry as dust, and I want to take up a few a few moments to actually give examples, both in Scripture and in in uh, times since then, of people enjoying God in a very real way. Well, we don't have to look much further than Scriptures than the Psalms, and we see David. I quoted this verse earlier: "In Your presence is fullness of joy; at Your right hand are pleasures." forevermore. But then as we jump to the New Testament, um, going outside of Ephesians, Paul speaks in Philippians chapter 3, some beautiful words. Whatever gain I had, I counted it as loss for the sake of Christ. He's so motivated that it's, Jesus is everything for him. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I've suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ to be, and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness of God that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection. And then Paul, in another place, says something that's actually quite profound in terms of his motivation for life. Now, what is it that drives Paul? Is it that he just wants to have so many churches planted by this time and he wants to kind of leave a legacy? What is it? No, what drives Paul is the love of Christ compels me. This is the engine that drives his life. This is what keeps him going. That means imprisonment and and suffering is nothing compared with this person that he enjoys so much. You know the story of Paul and Silas in prison and in, in Philippi and they start singing, don't they, in, in the prison? Well, can you imagine a conversation before they start to sing? Paul says to Silas, huh, I'm pretty feeling pretty fed up now. But you know, I guess we I guess we should be a good witness, so yeah, I suppose we ought to sing. Can you imagine that? No, the people are laughing because, you know, obviously this wasn't something that he just thought he ought to do. He was singing. So why was he singing? Because he was filled with joy. Why was that? Because the love of Christ was compelling him. So what I'm trying to argue here is that if you really want to have victory in your life as a Christian, this is the the best way of doing it. Because this motivates you negatively not to sin and positively to serve God. This is the best motivating force that can be in your life. Um, uh, jumping back again to the Old Testament, we can look at Moses and Hebrews chapter 11 mentions Moses. Uh, it tells us Moses saw more enjoyment and reward in following God than all the pleasures of wealthy Egypt. Now, I don't know if you've studied Egyptian history at all. They were incredible in the sophistication that they had. One of the greatest of the, the, um, ancient civilizations. And he and, and, uh, Moses was in the palace as the, the, the son of the Pharaoh's daughter at, at the peak of, the, of the, the greatness. And he could have had anything, anything he wanted, uh, absolutely. And he chose actually instead to follow God and to, to follow this life. Why? Because actually, not because he thought he ought to, because he saw there was more enjoyment in doing that. It was more enjoyment in following God than all the pleasures of egypt, and this verse is very explicit it 's the pleasures of Egypt is against the pleasures of following god it 's not about duty here. Um, I could give you many more scriptures, um, but i 'm um, going to tell a couple of stories from history so one of them is a woman called Sarah Edwards, so you, some of you may have heard of Jonathan Edwards he was um, A a, a pastor in New England in the 1700s, and he saw amazing work of God in his ministry. Vast numbers of people were saved for his ministry. But not just that, there were um, just a a joy came down on people from God, and they had an experience of God's joy. And um, one of the people who wrote about this was his wife, Sarah, and she talks about what it was like, about what her life is like, Um, as she's focusing on this joy. And I'm going to read you some extracts from her journal. Mrs. Edwards writes, "'Last night was the sweetest night I ever had in my life. I never before for so long a time together enjoyed so much of the light and rest and sweetness of heaven in my soul. Part of the night I lay awake, sometimes asleep, sometimes between sleeping and waking.' I seemed to myself to perceive a glow of divine love come down from the heart of Christ in heaven into my heart in a constant stream like a stream or pencil of sweet light. So you know when you're, you're in a room and there's a very bright light coming through a window, you can like see these beams of light coming down. It felt to her to like a beam of light was coming down into her heart from heaven. Like a sweet pencil of light, she says. And she says, so she's describing this. And she says, um, At the same time, my heart and soul all flowed out in love to Christ. So there seemed to be a constant flowing and reflowing of heavenly love back and forth between her heart and, and Jesus. And I appeared to myself to float or swim in these bright, sweet beams, like moats, like. D- you know, you can sometimes see dust in the, in the, in, floating in the in beams of light. Like moats um, swimming in the beams of the sun or the streams of his light which came in at the window. I think that what I felt each minute was worth more than all the outward comfort and pleasure which I've enjoyed and my whole life put together. It was a pleasure without the least sting or any interruption. It was a sweetness in which my soul was lost in. It seemed to be all that my feeble frame could sustain of that fullness of joy which is felt by those who behold the face of Christ and share of his love in the heavenly world. Isn't Isn't that amazing? Does that make you think, I want that? I want that. Well, the good news is that it's available to all of us if we're hungry. Now I'm going to take another example, and this example is a, a man called Samuel Rutherford. Samuel Rutherford lived from 1600 to 1661, and he was a, a pastor in Scotland, and he, um, he, uh, he preached the Bible, and unfortunately that was not um, very favorable to the authorities, and so they decided to put him into prison. And so he was uh, exiled. Actually, it wasn't it? Was more like a house arrest, but it was he was exiled, and he was um, confined to to this uh, to a room and for, for a number of years. And during this time, he could still write letters to to his to his flock, to his church, who he loved. And these letters have been collected. And as a teenager, I had a book of these letters and I just, it just transformed him as I read these letters. And he speaks of the experience he's having, having of God's love. And they're just extraordinary. And, um, he was one of, he was, as a teenager, he was one of my favorite, uh, Christian writers. Um, and as he, I read to these extremes of joy. And a hymn was put together from extracts from his letters, and uh, which was my favourite hymn. And uh, we, uh, my wife and I, sang it at our wedding. So uh, here's the. I'm just going to read you some of the verses from this. It's called Sands of Time. So these are extracts from his letters. The sands of time are sinking. The dawn of heaven breaks. The summer morn I've I've sighed for, that fair sweet morn awakes. Dark, dark has been the midnight, but day spring is at hand, and glory, glory dwelleth in Emmanuel's land. O Christ, he is the fountain, the deep, sweet well of love. And he wrote things similar to Sarah Edwards about about his experiences of, of just bodily experiences of Christ's love. The streams on earth I've tasted, more deep I'll drink above. There to an ocean fullness his mercy will expand, with glory, glory dwelling in Emmanuel's land. The bride eyes not her garment, but her dear bridegroom's face. I will not gaze at glory, but on my king of grace. Not at the crown he gives me, but on his nail-pierced hand, the lamb is all the glory in Emmanuel's land. So I'm not saying that every Christian will experience Jesus' love to the same depth as, as Sarah Edwards and Samuel Rutherford, but um, God does offer, uh, I think all of us for sure have, have got much more that we could enter into of an experience of God. And, um, the, the, there's a lie that says experience is, is not important. Experience is very important. Experience. What's, what's not good is false experience. What's not v- value is when the experience is false. Um, so uh, I want to say that knowledge is still valuable. Knowledge is still valuable because our relationship is based on the facts of what Jesus has done for us. And if you like the, the 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 knowledge is the ground layer, the bottom layer, and then the experience of that relationship is built on that. You know, if you fall in love with somebody, you know, and you marry them, then you know something about them. You, you know, you know who they are, and the love is 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 built on this this knowledge that you have. And so, it's necessary to have the knowledge. There is such a thing as a false joy, and a false experience. Um, Back in the 1960s, there was a, a Harvard professor called Timothy Leary, and, um, and Timothy Leary espoused um, taking LSD, and that was his, his thing he told everybody to do, and this was the 60s, and he got fired from Harvard. And so he decided that um, he would, uh, what he would do is he wanted to uh, more, as many people as possible to take, to take LSD. And he thought, you know, if I could have a a religion, and taking LSD was part of my religion, then they couldn't stop me doing it on religious grounds. So he started like the Church of Timothy Leary. And when they had communion in their church, instead of taking bread and wine, they would have LSD. That was how they worked. Now, he didn't, it wasn't legalized. It wasn't allowed. (laughs) You'll be glad to know. But that's what he tried doing. Now, imagine you went to his church. Would you have an experience? Yeah, you'd get an experience all right, but it wouldn't be an experience based on truth. So I just want to say, you must, knowledge is important, truth is very important, and we do need to have them both because it's possible to have experiences which are not truly based experiences. So the, that's we, we talk about our values as a church and having, having the, the, the power of the Holy Spirit giving us the experience and having the truth of God as we want to put those together. So, um, uh, knowledge is absolutely essential, but only as um, a means to an end, not an end in itself. The, 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 me- the end is a relationship with God. That's the goal. Um, so, just to summarize then where we've been, um, we are looking for a felt sense of delight in God, a very important part of the Christian life. I've looked at why this is the case, I've looked at some examples and stories, and I want to look now at how we get there. And uh, it's interesting that as we, as we look at the book of Ephesians, it's six chapters, and the first three chapters are uh, the truth. They are what God has done for us in Christ Jesus. And then in the middle, he transitions to living out the truth and actually how you should live. And it's at this point we have the motivation of love and joy. So this is the point. We're going to be moving into chapters four through six um, shortly in our series. And so I'm taking this time to say the motivation for all that we're going to be learning as we go through about Christian life is not duty, but it has to be joy and love and delight. I want more of this Jesus. I want to experience him. And that will motivate us. And uh, um, I'm convinced that for many of us, that this is an issue. And for many of us, uh, each day, we, we, when we serve God, it's not done, it's done out of um, a routine, not done uh, from from motivation of joy. And I've found this in myself, like I, I try and read the Bible, uh, regular discipline of reading the Bible. And I remember, uh, you know, I had this challenge, I would try and read read through this book by this date and so on and I was trying to read it and and that's totally the wrong motivation and I realized this and I thought you know I'm going to try reading the Bible because I want to you know I want to encounter my God and I know his word and it's much better motivation than trying to kind of make sure you've got to your schedule not the schedules are bad but um Uh, I mean, just imagine that you had a couple who were separated for a while, living in different countries, and one of them said to the other, I'm going to email you every day, every morning. And the other one wrote back and said, yeah, you know what? I'm going to discipline myself that every morning I'm going to spend five minutes reading your email. I'm going to make sure I do it every morning. Are they going to feel good about that? No, no, because you're not reading my email out of discipline. Surely you love me and you want to know what's happening in my life. And so this this motivation is really, really important. I believe it's what motivates, what what gives us the um, the desire to do things. And uh, Psalm twenty four seven four says, "One thing I've desired of the Lord that I will seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to behold the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in His temple." And um, so the motivation that, he, that David has for being in the temple is he just wants to experience this joy. Um, so is there any place for being disciplined, having self-discipline? Well, yes, um, providing the, the discipline has them, is, is because is done out of love. And uh, I've got a little, little example here. Um, Anne's not here, so I'm not going to embarrass her. But... Um, Uh, uh, so a number of years ago she knew that for Christmas I wanted a particular watch it was called the Pebble watch and she ordered it online and um, it it didn't come in time for Christmas and she said to me you know I've got a gift for you here the watch hasn't come but I've got this gift and I opened it up and here, here it is I kept it it says the original Pebble watch and I thought oh that's interesting and she'd made a little like watch with a pebble and a tiny sundial painted on, and a little hand in the middle, and she'd made a velcro strap for it so it could be worn. And like, it must have taken hours to make this, and she disciplined, she set aside the time to do it, and done it. But the motivation was love that she's doing it. So. Uh, This is the key thing to understand. It's not wrong to spend a long time and plan the time out we're going to spend with God and be disciplined to do it. It's the reason we want to do it. Now, what if all of this I'm talking about is completely outside of your experience? Um, You say, my life's dry and mechanical, it's intellectual. How can I have more of him? Um, What can I do? I just want more of God. Um, Well, the first thing is we need to ask... um, do you actually have a living connection with God? Um, If Jesus isn't living inside you, then you can't be experiencing this. You need to have a relationship with him. And um, if you don't have a relationship with him and you want to, you you are hungry for that, come and talk to me and I would love to to talk to you about how you can come to know Jesus as your savior. Um, But I want to say that There is no other way to victory in the Christian life than through experiencing this delight. And this is where I'm going to have three points here as we close. You have to be hungry. You have to be unsatisfied. You have to be aware there's much more. God says, seek and you will find. So my first thing I want to say is be hungry. Want more. Desire more. So, hunger is my first word. My second word is seek his presence. Those verses that I, I gave you earlier. Seek his presence. Seek it and you will find. And uh, uh, so verse, uh, James says, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Uh, Hebrews says, God is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. And Psalm 1611 says, spend more time enjoying his presence. In the words, your presence is fullness of joy. And then my third one is, experience how much he loves us brings the greatest delight. And the, the verses that we've been looking at in uh, Ephesians, actually, let me just bring this up now. Um, um, Ephesians chapter 3 is it's about the love. He says, what is the breadth and length and height and depth? And that's to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. And um, he gave his life so that you could be forgiven. And just think of what he's done for you. And just think about those things and how much he loves you. And uh, uh, I'm going to read some scriptures now. And I'd, as we're reading these scriptures, I want uh, I want us to... Really try and unlock some of this joy for us. And uh, I'd like to to just try and enter in. And if you're comfortable, then close your eyes as I'm reading them. And if you want to stretch your hands out in the attitude of, of receiving, you can do that. I want you to try, most of all, to have your mind ready to take in these verses. So let's just read this. I pray that you may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and thus to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge so that you may be filled up to all the fullness of God. Who will separate us from the love of Christ? Will trouble or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword. No, in all these things we have complete victory through Him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor heavenly rulers, nor things that are present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in creation. Will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. And then closing with Ephesians 2. By God, who is rich in mercy, because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you've been saved. Now just imagine yourself just joined joined to Jesus, the one who says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. You're joined to him as, as he died, your sins are forgiven. You're made alive together with him. By grace you've been saved. Raised us up together with him. Seated us together with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the coming ages he may display the measurable riches of grace grace through his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. And so as we just think of these verses, the core idea that I want you to think of is being joined to Jesus, connected with him inseparably for eternity. The one who loves you so much... That he says marriage is actually a picture of what, of, of what we are together. We are joined together. Um, he says, I saw you in your helplessness. I came down to die for you because I love you. Just take in that love that Jesus has for you now. Your sins are forgotten. He looks at you and he just loves you. And just take that in because that is the core of our delight. So Heavenly Father, I pray that everyone here will have an experience of your love and of delight and joy and pleasure in you that exceeds anything that this world could give. And this would motivate us, Lord, to turn away from evil and just to give our lives to you fully. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.